Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. A workplace is made habitable by the quality of its culture. There are many aspects of that culture that need to be in alignment for that culture to succeed. One aspect involves civility. When a workplace lacks civility, it creates fear, anxiety, and a lack of transparency. And the whole place descends into a dark place. Today's guest specializes in workplace civility training. Colleen Passard is a writer, mediator, and coach. She has a master's in humanistic counseling psychology and is certified in many areas of conflict resolution, circle processes, and restorative justice. Colleen has facilitated empowerment workshops and conflict resolution trainings to a wide variety of audiences and organizations, from CEOs to prison inmates. She currently serves on a mediation panel for the Department of Homeland Security. Colleen's work focuses on helping her clients actuate new ways of relating and behaving that bring their inner and outer conflicts in harmony and balance. If you want to learn more about this topic from Colleen, please join us on November 14th in Nashville, Tennessee at our event, Workforce L&D. She will be co-hosting a session titled Management Training to Foster Civility and Respect and Banish Cultural Negativity. I will provide more information about the event in the description. Colleen, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Jim. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Let's jump right in. Can you just define civility and then its opposite, incivility, and perhaps answer if it's similar or related to workplace harassment or bullying? Okay, well, first of all, um, let me just say hello to the listeners. And um, it is my hope today that something in this conversation animates a question for anyone listening that leads them in the direction of their highest potential and into the future that they imagine for themselves. And I work with the definition of civility by the research and author Lars Anderson, who defines civility as behaviors that help to preserve the norms for mutual respect in the workplace. Civility reflects concern for others. And so incivility is disrespect. It includes a lot of different behaviors from mocking to belittling people, to teasing them, um, to telling offensive jokes, to texting in meetings, to interrupting when other people are uh, speaking. And, you know, incivility and civility are not static events, but they're ongoing interactive processes among individuals within a situational context. So what is in the one is in the whole. So if you have a culture of instability, um, incivility, incivility is kind of like a gateway drug. It does lead to um, harassing and bullying behaviors if there's no accountability 
or checks and balances on that kind of uh, behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's good. It's uh, I'm I'm glad you answered answered that way. Um, we have covered workplace harassment and bullying. Um, you know, and it sounds like what you're saying is that those are not just results of it, but more, almost more extreme versions of what you're talking about here. Is that the case? Well, yes, because um, I, I think the word culture is synonymous with environment. So we're in a very complex communication environment. So um, part of my work is when I go into an organization, I make sure that they hire for civility, that they make civility the norm of the workplace environment. And they also have programs and systems in place that when that um, civility or that behavior is not lived into, that then um, they uh, red flag it and then have a process that addresses it and corrects it. And if that isn't corrected or addressed, it escalates and it becomes culture. Right. Um, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it seems like really a lot of harassment training and harass and even bullying uh, training revolve often is very reactionary. You know, it's because there was an incident too often. It's because there was an incident or an ongoing incident and now a company has realized they need to do something. I mean, there are those who are proactive and, and good for them because that's really important. Well, on that point, um, most of the companies and organizations that I go into have what I call a very flashy Instagram culture deck. Diversity, collaboration, uh, communication, and then you actually go into the organization and interview the employees and find out that their lived experience is is uh, not in an environment that uh, advertises or uh, says publicly that that's who they are. So there's a disconnect between who the organizations say they are and the actual behaviors. So what I do in a company is I like to create along with a policy because I'm an EEO counselor. So I'm very skilled in the rights and obligations of equal opportunity law. And, but I think companies that are really actually um, creating um, a correlation between their Instagram culture deck and who they actually are have a code of civility. They actually write down the norms that everybody agrees to, and they hire people that are um, committed and aligned to um, acting and being in alignment with those that, that code of civility. So, and, and, and also management and leadership. Leadership is a behavior, it's not a title. So leadership and management has to be modeling that behavior. It's a very good point. And it's something we talk about a lot on this show is, you know, especially when we're talking about culture, is that it's it starts at the top. And it's a, I think it's very interesting to look at it as um, 
as not just a person, but as a, how did you put it exactly? Oh, leadership is a behavior. It's not a title. So, so again, in my work, I use um, ontology and phenomenology, the ontology of phenomenology. So ontology is the science of being and acting. And our way of being and acting is always in a dance with what is happening. And what is happening is the phenomenology. So our way of being and acting, your way of being and acting, and my way of being and acting are always in a dance with what is happening. And what happens occurs differently for you than it occurs for me. And what occurs arises out of the language and the communication that gets used. So in my training and my work, I always, always start with communication. If we go back to the Maharabian model in the 1960s, where the scientists did the work of decoding mixed messages and communication, where the receiver of the communication receives the most dominant element in the communication. And what he determined was communication was 55% body language, gesture, 38% was tone, and only 7% was what people were actually saying. So you plug that model into the absence of body language and the absence of tone when you're dealing with text and email, then you're opening yourself up for a great deal of misinterpretation between the sender and the receiver. And the understanding between the sender and the receiver correlates to performance and productivity. Does that make sense? It does. I think we've all been in an experience where we received an email and thought negative thoughts. You know, I can't believe that person was so short with me or was so curt, you know, and it's so easy to just add whatever emotions you're happening, happening to be having yourself or to be perceiving or based on your last interaction with that person, maybe, maybe you said hi to them and they didn't hear you and you think, oh, they're mad at me. So these words are filled with, with that, but that is very likely not what they're thinking when they send the email. Maybe they were just busy or... Maybe that's just their style, you know. Um, I could definitely see this being an issue uh, with electronic communication, but even just in person to person to person communication, there's always a certain subjectivity in trying to understand what the other person's saying. Oh, absolutely. We're in a selfie generated reality because, again, what is occurring for me occurs differently for you than it occurs for me because we have different contextual frameworks, you know, um, and, and I always like to um, use this quote in my work because, so what happens when we're in the squish of that moment? I mean, chairs and tables, we don't have an issue with them because we're not in opposition with them. So what happens in the squish of the moment when we're reading that text or somebody's talking to us and we perceive disrespect in their tone. Respect is like air. When it's there and, and we feel it and we sense it, we feel respect. It's a felt feeling when, we're, when we feel respect in the presence of someone. And so when it's not there, if we perceive that it's not there, then the interaction is no longer about the original purpose. It's about defending dignity. 
So respect is 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 just elemental, and 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 we're a narrative. We're narrative by nature. We make up stories. So in a text or an email, then we can interpret it however we we we're we're, we're standing in and looking at it through the lens of our own experience. And I always like to use this quote in my work. It's by Robert Sapolsky, who's a neurobiologist. And he wrote a book called Behave, the biology of humans at our best and worst. And he says, human behavior is a subject involving brain chemistry, hormones, sensory cues, prenatal environment, early experiences, genes, both biological and cultural evolution, and ecological pressures, among other things. So in the squish of that moment, what is happening for you is happening differently for me. We have two experiences, two points of views, two contexts, basically my lens and your lens, and all of that's going on. You have to have agreements and givens within the culture of your organization of how you deal with conflict and what's the processes in place that you um, actuate when conflict arises. You could totally, you know, with what we're talking about here, you can easily see how somebody might be incivil and not even know that they did it. Oh, and absolutely. Indeed, I mean, you hear that all the time in sexual harassment cases and, and in bullying cases. We said, well, I didn't intend to or I didn't know that that's what I was doing. You know, and that stuff, you know, from the outside looking in is very, very clear and obvious when it's happening. You know, and I could see something that's a little bit more subtle. Like you mentioned checking your phone in a meeting, you know, yeah. um, you know, that's something that I think we've probably all done. Um, I'm guilty of it myself. And I I don't think I'm not thinking, wow, I'm going to disrespect the person in the in, leading the, the meeting. I think I just needed to do this thing really quick and then push it away, you know. Yes. And that is why I always think it's important in terms of um, really concretizing a code of civility. And, 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 and I usually limit it to 10 things because, you, you know, you don't want to overload people, but it, it's, it's um, you, you know, we do not um, text an email while we're in a meeting. We agree to, and um, I work with the three circles of energy um, because human energy moves in three circles. You're either in first circle, which is withdrawn from the present moment, and it's the circle of disengaged leadership, and it's the kind of leadership where it's like, yeah, whatever, do what you want, or whatever. You know, people are on their, their phones or whatever. They're withdrawn from the present moment. The body language is closed down. And if we move to the third circle, it's the circle of bluff and force. It's pushed out. It's the it's people who take up the oxygen in the room. They're working through force. And then if you move into the second circle, the second circle is the circle of presence. It's the circle of full attention and focus. In second circle communication and energy, no one assumes superiority or inferiority. It's equal. 
And so within that space, you have creativity, collaboration, and productivity. But what's inherent in every communication is safety. People need to be seen, heard, and valued. So in the moment of conflict, when conflict arises, something is triggered in people. They have a hot button and it gets triggered. So between the stimuli and response or react, that's the moment of power. That's the choice point where we want to animate and actuate and come from a peace building mindset. It's a mindset. So you're aware you're animated in that moment, but you have the self-awareness to go, okay, uh, something's going on here. Because what happens if you don't take that pause, if you don't take that moment, then you conflate your internal anxiety with an external flight, uh, with an external threat, and you actually animate the primal um, fight, flight, freeze response. And then, and then you're, not, you're not in any kind of resolved mindset. You're just in reactivity. And we all know how that ends. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrible feeling to have. Um, and yeah, we can, it's not very productive among other things it's not it's not very productive um yes and and even though it's not very productive i do think is it it is important that we know that conflict is a normative part of life we are individuals as you said we're coming from subjective experience so we're going to have opposition we're going to have differences conflict is going to arise it's how we stand in that conflict and how we rumble in it. And if we start with civility, then there's a good chance, you know, sometimes within that conflict, it's it's the beginning of consciousness. It's the beginning of growth. It's the beginning of evolving forward in a way that we need to. But we have to be mindful that it's a weevolution. When we start othering the other party, in the conflict and we start othering them, then we've made them separate and, and um, we're, we're not in the mindset of the peacemaker. That's, that's very interesting. Um, do you think, I, I want to ask you sort of what your thoughts mm-hmm. on the state of civility in the workplace is compared to say 10, 15 years ago or whenever you got started. And do you think that the need for civility training has increased, decreased or stayed the same? Absolutely increased. As I said, we're in a very, very complex communication environment. You know, we we have to look at, um, you you know, we have to, we can't separate out from the, the world. And first of all, uh, the the digital revolution has has affected just as we were saying earlier communication. I mean, we're, we are literally in a um, a we're finding our way within this very very fast moving digital uh, dissonance, and scientists have have discovered that there's actually a channel in the brain that recalibrates to trust. And they've discovered that that what recalibrates the brain to trust, and trust is inherent in team building and um, uh, productivity and having a felt sense of shared dignity in the workplace. And the the digital um, dissonance 
is actually recalibrated by face-to-face real-time communication. So when, you know, if you've had a text and, and you're all like, like, like triggered or whatever, and, 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 you know, your emotionality is very high, you know, if you can just jump on a phone call, because at least you have the 38% tone in a phone call. But if at all possible, if you can have a face-to-face phone call, you know, you can really reset a, a relationship with face-to-face communication. It's, a, it's a very interesting. It makes me think of, you know, I'm old enough to remember when phone calls were the norm and uh, and when texting became a big thing. And I held mm-hmm. myself to a standard once upon a time that I don't anymore, which is that if I said something to somebody in text, uh, particularly if it was emotional, I like to then, next time I saw them in person, talk about the same thing, you know. And it was a I sensed that there is you know a big difference. And then of course, that's preposterous. I can never keep up with that now. And uh, <laughs> but you know, it's just it's very interesting that that you could you have such a breakdown in communication, part of me wonders if we'll get better, if we'll get better at understanding the context of, of text, text-based communication and filling in some of that, filling in uh, some of that uh, missing information. Well, I, I mean, we are by nature um, narrative as human beings. I think that within organizations, Again, if you have a code of civility, like what you're talking about is a code of civility. What you're talking about is a way of being and acting in communication that is aligned with a intentionality of civility. So the more an organization can have givens of civility and everybody is in agreement, and then you have processes where if someone's out of alignment, then those become the norm of the culture. So getting better has to do with a collective agreement on a set of uh, behaviors and then and then a commitment and alignment to live in those behaviors. So I think it's really up to individual cultures and organizations to actuate and animate accountability in terms of living into these ideals. What would you said earlier that you have uh, you try and keep it to ten points? Um, do you mind just going over some of the most you know some of the things at the top of that list of what would be this code that you're speaking of? Well, well, one of them would be um, n- now every environment and culture um, obviously it is is a physical space that determines different things, but usually we greet and acknowledge each other when we see each other. Because I've been in organizations where they go, yeah, they just walk by me and they don't say hello. Now, remember what we said, we're in a subjective reality. So you can internalize that as, oh my God, they don't like me. Oh, 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 did I say something wrong or whatever? So we greet and acknowledge each other. We say please and thank you. We treat each other equally with respect, no matter the conditions. Whatever that situation is, there is just an agreement to treat people with respect. And, and, And respect is a felt 
energy. You feel when someone's respecting you. So regardless of the conditions, regardless if we're in the crunch of the moment, we're in the edge of the moment, we agree to treat each other with respect. And it goes back to nature. In nature, there's something called mutualism. And it's a symbiotic relationship of cooperation that creates um, results and, and productivity. In other words, we're stronger when we're aligned than when we're separated. Another one would be we acknowledge the impact of our behavior on others. If you're always late, you acknowledge and realize that that behavior has an impact on other people. And, you know, the, these are actually some things that people are like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. We welcome we welcome motivational feedback from each other. Well, the word motivation is in there because people need to be mindful and and they need to be taught the distinction between criticism and feedback. Wrong spotting and criticism is, is, is something that can cause, um, have an impact. So people need to learn what it is to give feedback that's motivational and, and inspires rather than attacks and wrong spots. Um, we are approachable. You know, have you ever worked with someone where it's like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't ask them that, that whatever. We make a commitment. One of our givens, one of our codes is that we're approachable. And, you know, you can use your own language in an organization, but these are just some basic codes of civility that, that cultures that I've worked with, they call them the givens of the culture. And um, uh, another one is we are direct and honest. Another one is we listen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, transparency, that, that really folds into the concept of transparency. Um, yeah, I think we talked a little bit about this once, but it's so critically important and so many organizations get it dead wrong because they're usually because they're afraid that, you know, like let's say a team of executives is planning to make some major changes in an organization. Uh, maybe that means layoffs. Maybe that means re readjusting people's jobs. And they're afraid that if that gets out, everyone's going to abandon ship or, or that they're going to start working against it or they're, you know, they're whatever, whatever it is. And in my experience, you can take that same information and come out and say, you know, we, we can't tell you everything, but th this is what we do know. We can tell you and be open and honest with people and people respect that you know um i think that there's a the instinct in really in any kind of communication is to especially if you've been burned <laughs> is to hold hold things close to the vest and not share them um well what you what you're speaking to is extremely important I do a workshop called the alchemy of successful change. So when there's a change in an organization and the messaging isn't clear and management or leadership is not clear and um, the messaging is confused, if you confuse, you lose, you animate once again that uh, place in people that interprets and makes up a story. 
And people know when they're just getting the sanitized message or that things are being withheld or, you know, you know, we're in a multi-sensory environment. So messaging is very, very important. And, and also respecting people enough and respecting the team enough to allow them to go through the transition of change, to recalibrate to the new future, not like, wow, this is happening, that's happening, and not respecting and holding space for questions. Like you've just, you've just given them this information and to allow them the opportunity for it to land, how does it impact me? What's my new role in this change? To allow space for your team and for your coworkers to um, transition and calibrate the change. And it's all in the messaging. So you're exactly right. I, I am a great um, scholar of cybernetics, which is the science of systems. And if, if you look at any system, it's an ecological system, like the body, for instance, if the liver's sluggish, if the spleen's not working, it affects the whole. And I said it earlier, what is in the one is in the whole. So here you have um, a team that's, that's cohesive, that's um, working towards a mutual purpose. And then from um, a higher up level, you have um, unclear messaging then that's gonna affect the whole. So cohesively, your organization has to be operating in clarity and transparency. However, you have to define what that means because for them, transparency might just tell them this. You know what I mean? But people are mopping up what you're pouring down. It's like we've, we, all people wanna be seen, heard and valued. And if the messaging isn't valuing them and their role, then that's going to affect productivity. It's going to affect performance. It's going to affect morale. And if you're a command control leader, when you really need your team to have your back, they won't because you didn't tell the truth and you weren't honest with them. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea. I like just conceptually, I uh, find it interesting, the concept that you can pick and choose what you're going to tell your employees and that that's going to be fine because um, my two-year-old knows when I'm withholding something. Exactly. And, I mean, it took her, uh, I, I, we play, I play video games and, and I, you know, there's this kind of like famous thing where like you give your little sister a remote control that doesn't work so that they think they're playing. And I tried that with her one time it worked never again. I mean, immediately, and she's two, she doesn't know, practically anything compared to, you know, supposedly <laughs> employees, we know, we all know exactly when something's not being told. And then in my opinion, you know, that's the worst case scenario because then we have to guess. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I've talked about this before on the show, so I apologize to my listeners for bringing up Beowulf again. But um, in Beowulf, there's, there's Grendel. He's this monster. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with it. And, mm -hmm. uh, He's undescribed. He's basically an imagination monster. They they describe plenty of things in that in that text, but not not him because the whole idea is that if he did, he would become real and then not as scary. It's much worse if you fill him with all of your fears. I call it the Grendel effect. 
If you don't tell your employees what's going on, they're going to start guessing and their guesses are going to be much worse than what's happening. And then that's going to be the reality that they're taking forward and that they're making decisions with. Uh, I don't understand. I have trouble understanding even allowing that to happen, but I, I think I get why people feel like they have to be careful with the information that they, that they share. Well, yes. And, and, um, you, you, you know, in Buddhism, there's right action, right speech. And so management and leadership has to be aware. There are some things, however, if their intentionality and their commitment is to make sure that within those changes, their messaging is respectful and and allows for a space of query of what is happening. Otherwise, you're absolutely right. They will monster the change. That's one way of looking at it. Because, you know, in mediation, we have a saying, if it's, histor if it's hysterical, it's historical. So depending on a person's contextual frameworks, they will give things meaning that may not be there. Like you said, they will monster that change. So there's a very, um, you know, we have to bring all of our consciousness to our speaking and our acting within the workplace, especially in leadership. We really, really, really have to be mindful of what we say, how we say it, and the impact of what we're saying there. I just have a few more questions okay. um, and they both revolve around how does, how does HR get started? And I, at first I want to know, you know, if a HR manager is out there and they've identified that there's an issue, hopefully correctly identified that incivility might be part of it. Uh, where do, where do they get started? Um, so, um, it depends on the size of the organization. And so um, uh, I, I think that my experience both in America and, and Canada is that um, HR is, is because of the complexity of the communication environment, HR has to be um, an employee advocacy um, arena where employees feel seen, heard, and valued, and there's policy, HR policies in place that give them a forward direction if they have a grievance and a complaint. And I also think that HR has to bring in training when they see um, uh, something in the culture. And leadership, brave leadership is never silent in the face of incivility. So, um, and, and, and oftentimes it's the employees that bring to HR when a manager or leadership is actually operating in, in, in that kind of behavior. So HR, the skill sets of HR personnel need to be uh, developed in the fields of conflict resolution and uh, commun effective communication within just their being able to facilitate dialogues, to um, bring team more team building to the organization. And because they're usually bogged down with so much practical uh, 
HR uh, responsibilities, I, I just always think it's good to bring in outside trainers because they also don't have the same, they're really operating from a neutral uh, place of animating best practice and behavior because they're not stakeholders in the organization the way HR people are. And they're actually in relationship with the people. So I think bringing outside people also helps to animate um, something uh, provocative and necessary within the context of learning. And it becomes a mutual learning. Does that make sense? Yeah, those are great tips. Um, my, my final question would be, if you have any advice for employees and anyone listening that might be the victim of incivility. Um, well, let me just say that because of the subjectivity of our experiences, our way of being and acting always in a dance with what is happening, the number one um, skill and quality and, and, and um, really it, it, it's a competency that I would encourage people to animate and actuate and companion is their self-awareness. The more self-aware you are about what triggers me, what are my hot buttons, where do I um, not stand in um, response, but where do I stand in reactivity? So first and foremost within the workplace, we have a responsibility to be aware of our own behavior rather than jumping into what the other is doing. And so I would start there. And so when you have a keen self-awareness and you're able to look at the situation and say, well, you know, and look at your responsibility within it, and, and then you're very clear that, that your way of being and acting was in alignment with the codes of civility and that it really was behavior that was inappropriate and not in alignment, then to um, follow the proper processes and um, act according to uh, the policies that are in place that deal with those grievances. I would always, always, always encourage people to initially with the mindset of peacemaking, um, reach out to the other party and 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 open up um, the possibility of a dialogue. That's a that's really great advice. Um, you know, we always take things from the perspective of sort of HR, but yeah, you know, sometimes the people in HR are also the ones that are having to deal with these kinds of challenges on a more personal level. Yes. Can you think of words that are analogous to civility? Hmm. As a English master's, I should be able to do this. <laughs> um, I guess decency would be mm. would be one. You know, being decent. Or yes. Uh, so, so do you see, Jim, that you know because we're always in a subjective um, reality that your definition of decency and my definition of decency might be different. That what's offendable to you might not be offendable to me. So, so that's why policy is important. And to really, really, you, you know, in team building, get these codes of civility down. And, and really, I love to rumble with a team and go, 
and and get that in place because then you have you have a north star you have a compass you have an orientation and you have agreement and do you see how important that is given again we're just open to interpretation there's what is and then there's our interpretation of what is so clarity is is really important in the realm of communication civility and conflict resolution that makes a lot of sense. Um, and fundamentally, just from a get-go to define that we are on team human. We are on team <laughs> human. We all struggle with being human. It's, you know, and life is a raw and raucous affair. And sometimes we make mistakes. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. And we move into a mindset of evolution and not othering. We're in it together. Thank you again, Colleen, for taking the time to join us today. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. If you want to learn more about this from Colleen, uh, just a reminder that she will be joining us on November 14th in Nashville, Tennessee at our event, Workforce L&D. Um, please consider joining us as well. She will be co-hosting a session titled Management Training to Foster Civility and Respect and Banish Cultural Negativity. As I mentioned earlier, I will provide links in the description. And listeners, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general or just to say hello. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works. <laughs>